Howdy, CEOs, and welcome to Pair Talks Prun, a prosperous universe podcast aimed at delivering you a little bit of entertainment, some knowledge, and insight into the happenings of the prosperous universe universe. I'm your host, C-Pair, and with me, as always, I have my co-host, Lex. How are you doing tonight, Lex? Good, thank you. That's good to hear. And once again, we have, of course, the guest that will not go away, Dehaz. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and uh, we have a very, very, very special guest with us tonight. Uh, you know, uh, he's been here for quite some time in the community, and uh, it is gravy, or the gravy. Co- is it gravy, or is it the gravy company? What is what is your preferred? I cheated. I couldn't figure out how to change my nick for all games, so I just used the nick for uh, that you're supposed to use in the UFO Discord. <laughs> everything. So it's actually gravy of the gravy company, company code GC. <laughs> Fair enough. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, no, that is fantastic, and we're super we're super excited to have you here. Um, I thought we'd just jump right into it. No time like the present. So, Gravy, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been now playing the game for in terms of years? Uh, so I've been playing since 2019. So I guess that gets me um, coming up to, I think it was December. I was part of the PC Gamer Wave when that was the big deal, not the Steam Wave. So you uh, mentioned so like, the PC Gamer Wave. What what exactly happened during that PC? Like, so did PC Gamer write an that, article? The game was really small. I shouldn't say really small, but it was a smaller group. And that was their first big publicity hit, is that PC Gamer did a little article on it uh, right around the Christmas time. So I think a lot of people just had time off and just hundreds of players just joined in. Um, And I guess in terms of scope, it was like compared to the player base, it blew things up. Um, It just was a massive influx of players into a very small small universe, but smaller player base. And it made a huge impact. Like it blew apart what we saw as the Steam Wave this universe because the PC Gamer Wave was just so big and it, it sustained for quite a while. So just all these players coming in and sticking around as well. So it was a, it was like the first influx and the first step towards a larger player base. So And uh, there's only a handful of players, I think, left from that PC Gamer Wave. But we had there's a few players in this universe from even before then, obviously, and then previous universes before that even. So tell us a little bit then about the the previous universe and like what maybe the genesis of this universe like so what has been sort of the kind of sentiment towards like from last universe we've heard some things and now we're in this universe and there's obviously a different sentiment so what's kind of been your the sense of difference between this universe versus or the previous universe versus this universe so previous universe was only three cx's they were on planets so those were the op planets of all time um but it worked out just by fluke of map generation that promotor space was over the top everything was around there if you want to make epo you went there if you wanted to make pg you went there if you want to make prefabs you went there just these massive just this perfect collection of planets montum was big early and then just kind of lost out promotor became the thing and benton and katoa being the backwater of the universe was a never-ending joke um and yeah completely different lms only came in halfway through the universe you couldn't even do shipping ads to start with uh shipbuilding came in partway through um it was just a completely different feel and a much more um because uh, it was there we had a lot of people testing the game like the the first big piracy action was actually a player who actually approached the devs first and said hey 
I'm going to test piracy because it's there, but no one's really done it. So I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> Wait, so you're just, so somebody's like, I, I'm going to be a pirate. <laughs> and he did it. Like, and we're talking like writ large, like he stole from everyone. Like, and it caused some bitter, bitter feelings. Then we had like, um, like the big money printers were like WR ones, the water reclaimers. And like the first one that got made was like this epic, like feat of logistics. And then later on entire companies just had money pumps. Like, just stupendous amounts of money flowing around. Um, and then the other, the other big one was like other people trying. So uh, not GTU, GDP. Um, they're the ones that did like, they did a big, uh, there was one copper tap. So what they did was I think that one and one other copper tap, they managed to sneak in ADMs, lock it full of bases. And they actually like did the CUOP, they called it. And they like took over all the governments and jacked the taxes up. So like they caused their own copper shortage because everyone had to shut down their copper bases. Yeah, it's like just stunts, but it was stunts, good natured stunts to exploit the game before it became big. Kind of like how are you going to handle this, devs, in a good way? But it caused a lot of bitterness. So all this bitterness, like what was the devs' response? Were they just kind of like, yeah, this is like this is the way we designed it? Yeah, pretty much. It was. Yeah, it was a. It showed, it was supposed to be, I think it actually highlighted, like if you look at faction space versus not faction space, faction space is safe. You can't raise the taxes past a certain limit. You can't lower them past a certain limit, but it's safe. You know you're always safe. And I think it actually kind of reinforced what the devs were saying. It's like, hey, if you want safe business, go to CX. If you want Wild West, go to the LM. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying that you can raise taxes unlimited in non-faction space? Correct. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that. Why am I a governor of uh, Katoa when I could just go be a governor of a not like a factionless planet? Raise t- just jack taxes. <laughs> that's funny. I never knew that actually. Yeah. So that's why faction. So it kind of reinforces faction space is safe. It's a wild west out there. If you're going to go out there somewhere, someone could pull a stunt, but very rarely is that going to happen. But because it's and the funny thing was that initially the taxes and everything like that it was supposed to be corporations running planets the whole idea was that a corporation through the old dev logs and the old dev updates and stuff like that that was all it was corporations like entire groups that were supposed to be like running planets and they were supposed to get the proceeds of it instead of this one benevolent governor so it's supposed to be kind of like or at least that was my read of it anyways oh well and it's not so, you're not wrong like like as a governor me and Lex have chatted lots, of, and I know Dehas has jumped in too when we were discussing it last week uh, in in episode seven. But no, hundred percent. That's what planets were. That is, we felt like I felt that in the design, in in what I was doing, and all this jazz. And it's funny because like, yeah, you get these dividends, right? And you can't, you can't really. Like, you have to make your own corporation, right? And, and that's where. Um, like all this money goes to and you're right like so there are these like benevolent governors but it's sort of like yeah i could see how a corporation could be running this and and like make profit off of everybody else with their dividend like sure. how their dividends are structured is because like how they have their dividends structured now and designed is due to the fact that they expected corporations to run these planets yeah. and, and there, there used to be there are, like, oh sorry I was just going to say, there are corporations still in the game today that run it this way. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and the old universe, so Promotor was like the big glory one. Like, people like people wanting the win would like, 
that give out bases. It's like, I will give you a base on Promotor if you tell me you're going to vote for me. Just, and like, we had very, very vitriolic elections between very, very loud people. And like, it got to the point, like, you'd mute in game chat for multiple planets. Not always, <laughs> but there's, there's periods where just like, oh yeah, like Lord Scrub J, and I can't remember who his opponent was. Um, and we lost some good people actually because people they it, it, it got it, it it got personal unfortunately um, and we lost a lot of good not a lot of good players over the time but we lost some good players over the years where it was like someone got a little too emotionally invested and things got a little heated and people just walked away. Well, it's funny you say that because like uh, just the vitriol that I got from people governing Katoa, it's just like oh my goodness, like people like it. it I, I got thinking about it. You know, it's funny. I got thinking about me governing Kentoa and like, had I actually not done anything, like had I not talked about like raising the taxes or doing any of number of things, probably nothing would have happened. Like, you know, there would have been a lot less talk, right? If I just, if I just kind of ran it and, and did it like quietly, probably nothing would have happened. Right. But unfortunately that's not the case. And so, so you, you mentioned that, um, you know, there's a lot more kind of back and forth. So what is your sentiment between last universe and this universe? Like what is, what is kind of, is it, is it better? Is it good? Is it bad? Like what, what is your kind of impressions between this universe um, and last universe? Which one's better? There's been so many quality of life updates, like recurring orders wasn't a pro feature. It wasn't even a feature back in the day. Um, the, the ship button, the, the, the making a ship fly across between planets. It used to be, you'd, You'd select, you move the slider, but when you hit go, it would do a recalculation and you might be off by 12 hours. Um, so there's so many quality of life things alone that just make it massively better. Uh, the population infrastructure has, like that got introduced halfway through the last universe and it, it, we got used to not having to worry about populations and it, they really fine tuned at this one. So it's a lot better, maybe not perfect yet, but that's better. Um, overall, like in the ship building, the massive, like, and not, not quite end game. I know they always talk about end game, mid game, but there's a lot more depth to the game now. The, the CX is still struggle for quantity because everyone's in corporations now, but there's a lot of, I'll, I'll, I would say this universe is, it's far better. The, the, the devs admit they screwed up the map generator. Like that's supposed to be fixed for the next one. Um, so we still have the same problems as the last universe for the map, but I would say this one's definitely a nice step. Well, and it's interesting, too, how you talk about, like, backwaters, right? And, like, Arclight and Huber are sort of the backwaters now, but I hate to say it, they're not even used. And it's, and, you know, I think about what would be the incentive, like, what would incentivize players to go out there, right? And, like, I look at something like the OT planet out out yonder in in um, in Huber space, and it, it's a good ga- it's a good fuel planet. Like it makes amazing STL fuel, but it's like that's just not enough. Like there's so much STL fuel being pumped into the economy. It's just like it's just not enough. And like I feel like what they really need to do is really take a hard look and and almost maybe manually edit it in such a way that you know if you were to go out to Huber or ArcLight, like they do these very cool things very very well. Like, you know what I mean? Like well, that, like these things, these planets are extremely good at very good things. The map generator was initially supposed to be that as you got further towards the edge, it was supposed to get better and better planets and it glitched. So it wasn't right? just, supposed oh. 
Yes. Because that's so what that I feel. Like that's and that's what I feel like should happen. Is that like, yeah, you get far out there and it's like, oh yeah, we got this massive operation out there and we're pumping out like tons of hydrogen or or just like something unreal. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense to me. It, there should be an incentive right now, the incentive is stay clustered, is stay together, stay, stay put, don't move too far away. But it's like, no, no, no. Like, and that's kind of like, you know, you think of like sci-fi movies or books, like like books or movies based on like sci-fi operas. Like that's why, you know, these massive corporations go out into the boonies, into the asteroid belts is because you have massive amounts of high, like iron and, and other kind of raw minerals that you can pump out there a lot more efficiently than you can in, uh, in, in like kind of faction space, right? And well, and it's worth saying too, like, I think what, especially now that we have big ships available is that we can make anything we want work now, right? Like if you have two or three players working together, you can make SF in bulk on Katoa at such a low price that no one would be able to beat you. Well, and I think like it goes back and I, I hate, I, I don't hate it. <laughs> I'm bringing it up cause I don't hate it. <laughs> I hate to bring this up, but, uh, you know, I, that's really where I could see the purpose of warp gates in this game being a very viable thing right you know like think of it like this you're in faction space so you're at like freaking katoa or something like that and there's like a there and like people often maybe think of warp gates as being these like super op things that they're just like massively op and that they'll ruin the game and and all this jazz but i'm like no they can be very balanced and very limiting but still provide a lot of benefits to corporations, especially like, for instance, I'll, gi- I'll give you an instance. So a corporation could build a warp gate from Katoa to like Huber space or Arclight space, for instance, right? But it's like they could set it so that you pay a toll, for instance. If players want to get out there, they pay a toll, right? But members of the corporation don't pay the toll. Or even better yet, they could limit people on... Um, you know, like you have to be part of our corporation to use this warp gate, right? Like, so there's. See, I I actually don't lean that way because like I have three bases out by ArcLight, and I'm running twenty bases with just four ships, and one of them's an STL bird, and I'm doing. I don't need shipping. I don't need. I you can get by. It's just managing a matter of designing your bases appropriately. Oh, hundred percent agree with you. No, no, no. I right? do. Like I say, but I, I know what you're saying because I think the problem would be if you do that. And last universe, we got in this trap, and it hurt a lot of new players. Is that Let's say you decide you're going to provide all the iron ore for the universe. You get three big ships and you have a big iron ore tap, you can flood every market. And if three other players do that with other goods, you can kill T1 extraction right flat. Well, yeah, because people can't keep up. Like, it's just... Exactly, right? There's a really dangerous thing where it's like, you can have a few Uber players just destroy the entry markets. Because, yes, we're a very big universe now, but the scale at which people can do things is stupendous now. Like, like I do com, kombucha most, mostly, and I make an amazing amount of it, but I still can't control that market. But if you, if I were to pick something simpler, you 20 bases or even 15 or 10 bases with the right ships, you can do a lot of, you can, you can shift, you could make DW go away. Well, and funny enough, you know what, one thing this game's, you know, like I said, I work in advertising and one thing this game lacks to some degree is the notion of what we kind of call like awareness advertising in the game. I think, Daz, you mentioned it last week that you pump out something. And forget what you said. You said something along the lines of that you're pumping out something. And I thought, it's funny because I was listening to the podcast and I got thinking about it and I was like, 
okay, but like he's suffering, like you're suffering from an awareness issue, right? Where it's like people, um, you know, for instance, GTU, for instance, we had, we had a, a goalie Hoff from GTU on the podcast last week. And, um, you know, players are like, oh, like nobody's nobody's producing chips or nobody's pumping out chips. It's like, well, actually GTU is, and and we'll get into it a little bit further, but you're, you are as well. And it's like, okay, that, that's not, it's not an issue. It's just more of a, an awareness issue and bringing that up. And one thought that I've had actually a theorizing how you could solve it to some degree and how you could kind of, is like really establishing some sort of mall, like mall-like system, right? Where it's kind of like, you have vendors on a Discord, for instance, that are able to kind of say, "Hey, I I do this. Like we produce ships, right? We do this. We hey, you're looking for you're looking for kombucha? Fantastic. Come come and talk to me, kind of thing, right? And you we'll, know, we'll get you almost as if up. if we had some sort of exchange of commodities in centralized locations. <laughs> Tell me more about this. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I, that's a serious thing that we have right now. Is that we have all these groups, these internal markets. Is that Honestly, if you're baking ships and you're trying to sell ships, put them on the CX, list the parts for a reasonable price, yeah. and guess what? They'll sell. But we have so many internal markets now. It's like, oh, no, no, just contact GTU. We'll we'll make you a quote. We'll sell you a ship. It's like, why don't you just put it on the CX? We have it. It's amazing. Well, and, that's, and that's really what I want to do with uh, Nason Mercantile, actually, interestingly enough, is we, is I, I did. I got thinking about that. But one of the biggest problems with doing that, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's more of an obstacle. If anything else, it's not a, it's not an issue is that, and I actually mentioned it to my guys this week, actually, we are, we're getting, we're getting pretty serious about talks about shipbuilding. And one of the talks that I had was I kind of said, if you're thinking that this is going to make you profit, dream on, this is not a profit making venture. This is simply an altruistic sort of like, we're going to start pumping out ships. We're going to start pumping out ship parts. Right. And you're right. They might sell. But the thing is that. Unfortunately, they're, the the player base is pretty small still, right? The player base is pretty small still, and they're going to sit on that market. So, for instance, some part that cost us like $100,000 to make, right? So that's $100,000. It's just sitting there, just sits there on the market for weeks, right? And then eventually it sells, right? Okay, that's fine. That's, that's good and dandy. But that still means that we are tying up $100,000 worth of of currency on our hands right so we're, we've tied that up into the cx which is fine good but that means then that means that to solve this problem and that and this is actually something early on we realized thankfully was was very much okay we're gonna tie up all this liquidity we're gonna tie it all up we're talking millions of dollars of liquidity we're gonna tie up into the cx with ship parts right uh how do we navigate that well it's simply we print money right? Like as long as we keep printing money and print massive amounts of liquidity for ourselves, we'll be a-okay, right? But that requires us to still produce a lot of liquidity. And so the value of the economy is going to grow exponentially once we kind of get our hands on on doing this operation to some degree. Yes, yeah, I, I can say, so I'm a, I'm a weird oddball that I'm a corporate member and I'm involved with other corporations, but at the same time, I almost deal exclusively on the CX. So like right now, I have 1.5 million of kabucha listed on the Benton CX. Just because I'm dedicated to starting to stay on the CX. So it's doable, but it's, you're right. It's, you need that money. You need to be, you need to be the comfortable place for money before you do that. Well, and I think it goes back to Lex's kind of mantra always about the idea that the end game is not currency. The end game is not about 
the end game is not about watching a number like go up right at the end deal and it's not about currency and that unfortunately is a lot of new players don't realize that a lot of players are like i gotta get money right like i it's funny we're gonna talk one of our new segments is we're gonna talk about steam reviews and i see it people are talking about the fact that it's like i'm I'm going broke or, you know, any number of things that it's like, yeah, like there's, I don't have enough money. And I'm sitting here like myself, I'm sitting here with about $3 million of liquidity right now. And I'm sort of like, liquidity is not the issue. It is, wait for it, logistical bottlenecks, right? It's logistical. No, no, no. You're now at the point where it's no longer an issue. Every new player, it is, they are dying for that next 12 BB or 16 BBH to build an extractor or... They need three trusses to build this T2 building. And but that's, I think this game is very much in a, at the beginning of the game, you're, you don't have liquidity. And at the end of the game, you do. And at the beginning of the game, you have logistics. And at the end of the game, I, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I won't say you completely don't, um, but it's much harder. It, it's, it's much more, logistics is the limiting factor at the end. And there's this kind of flip in the middle somewhere where it goes from one extreme to the other. Because I'm part of a I'm part of an organization. I'm part of a corporation that builds ships, and uh, we want to build ships for external consumption. We just we can't produce enough volume to outrun our internal consumption demands for logistics. I think that's every shipbuilding group is almost that same exact problem. So let me ask you this. I've actually, I've actually been really. This is a problem. I, I wrote like an essay to my guys. Uh, I think it was either last night or the night before. I need to know. And okay, get ready, podcast listeners. Uh, I hope we can spill the secret, spill the secret sauce here. But what, what is the Krabby Patty secret formula for this bottleneck? Like, what's the thing that bottlenecks you? Like, what is it? I'm curious. Oh. I don't know the answer. So right now I'm at 20, I have 20 bases and I'm ready to build 21 here right away here. I'm actually not bottlenecked except for HQ permits, but every single one of my bases is designed for low logistics. Like I spend a lot of sure. time with rains base planner just to make it. So it's like, I actually get by with three FTL boats and I'm just fine. Yeah. No, so, and I can do, I can do likewise. Like I, my ether wind base, for instance, like I, I haven't looked at it, but I know full well it's doing a-okay. Like, I, and I don't no have a ship near that. You, and there's no doubt you can design bases that way, and it, you kind of have to at 20 bases. And, well, but you're kind of forced into that situation because there's, you don't have a choice of making the decision, okay, I want to fly 20, 20 ships and 10 bases. Like, that, that option is not open to you. But I would also say, and this is something I think that I wish more players would expe- explore, is that so I've made the conscious decision to go T2 plus only. Except for a one single DW base, everything else I do is T2 plus. And the funny part is, once you get higher in the tiers, your logistics actually get, they get more complicated, but they're a lot smaller and lighter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But okay, right. back a to my original question, versus, though. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Back to my original question, though. What What is like, so for instance, okay, what is preventing you? Maybe I'll, I'll phrase it like this. What is preventing you from just like cranking out five ships like tomorrow kind of thing? Like what is like, I don't know. Like, and you're like, oh, Pear doesn't know. I don't like what is, 
what is the thing that causes you the most like logistical sort of pain? Like, cause like, here's how I'm picturing in my head. So I'll, I'll give you a picture and then you tell me where this picture has problems. So essentially I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're going to get, there's about eight of us. There's about eight of us in this corporation right now in nascent mercantile that wants to pump out ships. We want to get into ship production. So what we're doing essentially is we are getting uh, a roster together of everybody that wants to pop out this, that wants to pop out that, that wants to pop out this, this, that, right? And so, I'm, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, and so eventually what I'm thinking is what we'll do is we'll kind of do batches, right? So I'll be like, all right, so we'll do one batch, two batch, three batch. But I'm wondering to myself, where is this like thing? Like, is it carbon? Is it H2O? Like, what's that that resource, that commodity out there that I'm going to have to divert more than one player to? Or like, so what is that problem that causes, like, for instance, GTU said that they've only made like 35 ships, right? And I'm sort of like, 35? Why so low? Like, wh- where's this issue? Like, does it take like seven days to pop out a ship kind of thing? Like, you know, it's, like like from it, the shipyard? It's not the ship. It, the shipyard's the easy part. You can put all, you can pull all the parts of the shipyard and just bang out six projects at once. The problem is if you look at the building, if you look at the amount of buildings that you need to build a single component, like you're talking multiple high-end buildings and AML labs and sure. all sorts of, so it is just a, like you're talking, I don't know, ballparking. So, okay. Like, Let me like you're talking you a lot of bases and you're also like, you're talking full bases running full time, creating a whole bunch of esoteric, intermediates that then have to be fed back and forth between different things like you'll have a fabrication shop just running full out uh, an appliance factory a small appliance factory and a, a big appliance factory a software development lab and like all this this whole alphabet soup of buildings all building different parts that all have to feed back and forth and it gets worse and then if so maybe the, you're not uh, going to build the same boat you're going to build uh, one guy wants a 1000 1,000 cargo bay. The other guy wants a 2,000, 2,000 cargo bay. The next guy wants a fuel-saving engine. The next guy wants a fast charge so engine. where we would put the brakes, where we would kind of pump the brakes is I would definitely, like, we're not in, this isn't freaking Ferrari. Like, we're not Ferrari. This is, we're building Model T Fords, right? We're not building, yeah, I get the idea. I get the, I get the idea that people are like, I want this, I want that. I want this, I want that. I want this, I want that. And I'm like, okay, What's the main problem right now? It is the fact that there's not enough ships in the game. Let's build standard rust bucket uh, FTL drive ships, right? As soon as we solve that problem... You build a 2,000K liner. You build 2K, 2K boats. Sorry, Lex, what was that? I was just joking. If I convinced you on that point, and I'll let it... Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess if you're going to spend $2 million for a rust bucket, I'll go to your competitor and I'll spend $3 million to get a boat four times as capable. No, and 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 I, I guess say, I, I guess you want to build the Cadillac because the the Chevy beside it actually is worth way too much money. Sure, but I would argue then I would make the argument that back to my kind of original statement that the issue is not liquidity, right? So it's like somebody's like, oh, it costs two million to buy to build a ship, right? To me, I'm like, no sweat, no problem, right? I'm like, okay, cool beans, right? But I get what you're saying, I. I I think well, more people like have... if we were if we were to be like here's the thing if we were to be like to somebody is like hey we could provide you ships like because there is like funny enough like one of the things why I got into marketing was very much um, 
I was extremely interested in competitive analysis, right? Being like beating competitive. That's actually what I, that is actually my specialty is competitive analysis and perceptual design. And so one of the things that especially um, is a competitive advantage is like you look at something like Ferrari, for instance, back to Ferrari and Ford, right? Ferrari, very much like customized, high fashion, like sleek, cool, customized, this, this personalized experience. While Ford is like, I'm just going to give you 100, right? I'm just going to give you 100, no sweat, no problem. So you're can I, right. Can I, can I jump in for a quick second? Oh, please do. <laughs> All of these cars need a flux capacitor. Okay, it's not sure. <laughs> Once you get past the uh, glass boat, they all need very expensive bridges. Yeah, like and the- all the components that go with it. So it's kind of one of those things. Once you decide you're making more than a glass boat, the jump to go to a massive boat is very small. The it's difference between an, an FTL rust bucket and an FTL Cadillac is a fraction of the price. Sure. Precisely. Thank you. I've noticed that. <laughs> it's, and it's like you, basically you might as well make a 2k 2k cadillac because that's if you put all your energy into that that's that's actually worth it yeah yeah so i guess this feels like uh this is a really good conversation i know we're probably gonna have to edit this but no it's already moved move into on. our second component here so i love it <laughs> yeah so do we are we good on time i'll just ask oh yeah can, yeah yeah go. we're good all right that's all i was gonna say sorry to interrupt some like profound statement really clear the, it's a sandbox game the point of the game is to do whatever you want it's true right but the only thing that takes a significant amount of effort over time as as at a communal level is building ships so gravy if i'm reading between the lines here of what you're saying and this kind of goes into gravy talks about shipbuilding so you're mentioning, and okay, so I'm going to give you two scenarios here. And I, we have some really smart people in our corporation that actually have like jobs in logistics. I, I don't. I work in marketing, right? Um, excuse me. Um, so I'm going to give you two approaches here. And you tell me which approach is the best, okay? So approach A is the decentralized position where essentially what we do is we have everybody sort of kind of going their own way to some degree. So it's like, for instance, let's say I'm producing complex scientist item number one. Let's call it that. And in complex uh, complex item number one, uh, I need like 20 units of carbon. I need some tungsten. I need this and I need that. And they themselves go off and maybe they join, maybe they... Uh, harness other corporation members maybe they uh, harness other corporate members um to help them on this but large in part they're very much on their own like so that like it's very kind of like they might get some stuff from the cx or they might produce some of their own stuff themselves right so that's scenario one is the decentralized approach where it's very kind of like okay like you're gonna do this good luck like i wish you the best kind of thing right and it's it's not it's not as flippant as that but yeah that's kind of the approach now scenario two i'll paint you scenario two and and where i want to go with this is what is your scenario currently this is why i'm reading between the lines yeah. so uh, scenario I'm, two I'm, I'm waiting, uh, I'll, I'll pop in with more scenario after yeah yeah so scenario two is the centralized approach where it's very much like okay you're gonna do this thing fantastic so right now we have an aluminum producer that produces refined aluminum. Go talk to him. He also does the silicon as well because that leads right into itself. So go talk to him about that. And um, like we map out a very optimized sort of 
planet production chain, right? So it's like we're all kind of maybe either clustered together as as close as we can be together, or we're kind of a little bit more spread out just because that's the, that was kind of the nature of the game. So in your opinion, what is more realistic and where, like how many people, and maybe, okay, third bonus question. <laughs> How many people in your corporation are helping you produce ships right now? Well, let's let's answer that one after uh, we talk about the first two scenarios. So, so, what is your? I guess I'll I'll give the quick quick blur of ours, and without going to whole, obviously you know trade secrets, I guess or whatever. Trade you secrets, call it. nope. Spill so, them. Spill them. Uh, <laughs> no. So I guess what we had. So I don't run it. So we had a member of our corporation. He created an amazing spreadsheet, pretty much saying this is all the stuff we need. He's like, okay, who wants to pick off what? And actually, I was very busy in real life at that time, so I just did an extraction base in the middle of nowhere and got a zirconium at that time. And then all the other guys sat there. I'm like, well, I'm already doing some of this. And it's worth saying, a lot of our guys were doing advanced stuff, so it's a very easy slide to go into these other things, right? If you're running, if you're making T4 AFABs, well, some of this other stuff's trivial, right? So a lot of the guys were already doing a lot of stuff, so they're like, well, you know what? I'm already doing something similar to this. I can run this on the side. And they just literally went through this list and said, I'm going to pick this. I'm going to pick this. Hey, you know, buddy over there i know you're making this do you mind making this too and then we're right beside you oh yeah that's perfect i'll do it so it's kind of like a communication and just a spreadsheet where everyone just signed up for jobs a through z and then it was just literally okay you know uh c pair makes uh hcc i need 100 of them next week i'll ping him he's like yeah i have them do you want to p- come pick them up a number sure thing i'll grab them i'll grab your stuff from pump from proxian and it's just a never-ending thing and then as people move on or move out or whatever then just hey we need someone to cover this yeah i can do it and then like later on one of our significant members left and i just took over what he did and just run a bunch of amls and a bunch of uh, alphabet soup of buildings that i just run um and then again but i have that list of okay you know what i need intermediates a through c i get them from this guy d through g i get from this guy and then I, someone else asked me for my stuff, and I pass it on to them. So it's very decentralized, and it actually works really good. So, I would offer, I would offer that that is the only way that it will work in this game. <laughs> you're probably, Daz, you're not wrong. But <laughs> let me ask you this. Okay, actually, before I ask you this question, so how many players would you say are are running this shipbuilding operation of yours, Gravy? Um, again, I'm always just going to keep saying it's not mine. <laughs> Uh, two, four, six, eight, nine. Uh, there's nine names here, but I think we're down to seven that are actively doing. Actually, and one one of our central ones is on hiatus. We're all just kind of like marking time until he comes back. So, yeah, uh, sure. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that many, and it 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 all is a matter of like, like, if I really wanted to, I could just dump ten of my base permits and decide to do the solo. Like, you can do whatever you want. Someone could run half it if they wanted. It's just a matter of how much do you want to pick up. Yeah. It's not, you really need to spreadsheet it out or whatever tool you want to use. It's a massive feat to balance out. This makes X, which then goes to Y, which then goes to Z, but then it goes back to building X. And some of it legit does in a circle to feed itself. Like you, and you kind of have to figure out what's the optimum cluster for this planet to, to feed itself and to go bounce back and forth. I do have a question about that. So you mentioned that you went from nine to seven. And you talked about the challenges. How do you handle in a decentralized system unintended dropout? Somebody has to do has to leave the game, decides to quit. Somebody's having a bad day. Something goes wrong. How do you handle it? 
Well, I, so I can tell you two different ways I've had to deal. So in this case, the player is leaving. He's like, he telegraphed. He's very clear. Hey, guys, you know what? In the next four weeks, I'm looking to wind down. And I and a few of us just said, yeah, I'll pick up this, that, and the other thing. And it was a very orderly transfer of prefabs and intermediates. So that way, we just literally just start it all back up and resume exactly where he was. He even worked out what buildings need to work, what orders, what what orders and what sequence and how many to, to balance outputs. Um, but I've also had, I've been in collaborative projects where my, I was running a very large extraction base um, for a partner and I was running two extraction bases for them. And then they bought them and they made the, the final product and they just dropped off the face of the earth for a while. So I eventually pinged them and they finally got back to me. I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll retool and see if you come back. So it, it kind of goes both ways, right? Sometimes you just have a partner drop off the face of the earth and you have to figure it out or yeah, you have to adapt. And it's tough. That's the tough thing about group dynamics, right? And I know you guys have spoken about that in previous podcasts. It's the nature of it. It's well, what you called politics. That's exactly it. It's the art of working with people. And I would offer that, that the reason that that is the only way it will work is because those kinds of drop-offs and having to leave the game, whether orderly or not, are inevitable in this game because this is not a full-time job. You, you, we're not paying people to play real money with real livelihood, people have real lives. And so yeah, like, you always have to be flexible in order to adjust to whatever changes happen in uh, in the, the virtual world because of real life activities, people walking away or changing what they want to do or anything like that. And so if you have this very strict, you're doing this, you're doing that, suddenly your nice, crisp, clean plans break when somebody does something different. And, and I'll also say some people enjoy certain types of tasks, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Right. I picked up a task. Albit is not my type of forte, but I'm doing it because I like it's interesting. I, I've always wanted to explore this world and it's hideous, honestly. But at the same time, like some people thrive on this. So some of the guys just picked it up and like, I want to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And I already make this. So I'm going to make that too. And they just ran with it. So it's like if someone's passionate about, hey, I want to do this type of thing why not let them do it, right? Like, that's the, let people pick. And then you kind of poke and prod after, hey, guys, we really need someone to do this. So, yeah, and if you have this decentralized capability, build this decentralized capability of everybody to work together and figure out how to source what they need to produce the components, and then somebody says, hey, I need this, and you need that, and let's work together. If you build that capability into the organization, that is what yeah. will be resilient. So I so I ask, and we also have some players that, or sorry, no, I, I was actually going to ask a specific question, and it's really so. In your experience, and this is a question that I, I really wanted to get to goalie, but I never could quite figure out to ask. Given the fact you've got a decentralized structure, given the fact that there is some inherent risks in that, as someone who does it, where are the points of biggest risk that you feel like you have to have duplication, or you have to accept a certain amount of? Uh, Maybe you just have to tolerate the risk, but where do yeah, you I think need the big problems? You, I think prod, the bigger the project is, the less you can depend on it. I think that's the, if your entire game is based around a group project and that's what you're playing for, I think you're waiting for disappointment because that means when someone goes and hey, it is, or you're waiting for something, your, your play value is decreased. So, but if meanwhile, if you're in a tight collaboration with those two other players and it's working great, I think you can make that work and you can kind of plan, like you start building buffers. That I think you, you can't, especially something like shipbuilding, there's so many critical steps. You can't identify which one's the, oh God, if he quits, we're done. It's like, no, if anyone quits, you're, you're going to be rebuilding. 
but it's just it, like you guys mentioned liquidity and cash flow. It's like you need to have that where this is not you're on the edge of bankruptcy, hoping that you're going to sell your first ship, I guess, is the key. And it's well, also the ironic part is, is when you get into this, all the guys that were first helping build this, like I said, I, I was a very minor part when they first built pumping out the first ships. The ironic part was that getting this going created a whole logistics hurdle. They needed those first ships to keep building the ships because you create this massive logistic empire you have to now maintain. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you this then. Okay, so the decentralization then, and this is kind of why I was tying it back to my original, original question. So, so you mentioned like, so this decentralization. So is that, would you say... Would you say, and I agree, I agree with everything. I, I'm I'm sort of of, like, that's what we're kind of dealing with right now is the decentralized versus centralized system and and what do we kind of play with here? And it, sound, it very much sounds like we're going with a decentralized system ourselves because of the redundancy and what have you not. But okay, so would you say then, in, in, in conclusion, would you say that the because of the decentralization, because of the inefficiencies of the decentralized system, that that's the main bottleneck that that's happened. That's the reason you can't pump out 200 ships tomorrow kind of thing. No, I would say we could pump out four times as many ships. We would just need to have four times as many of all these buildings going. So, so it's, it's, it's mainly purely... production. It's mainly production, ch- production time. So like, okay, then it goes back to my original question then. So what is the, what is the thing? And maybe it's not one thing. And maybe it is just actually the fact that it's like X, plus y equals z and that's like so x takes one day y takes two two days two y two z to make two a so it's it's mainly so okay then let me okay so i'm I'm really curious about this minimum so i guess you need a plethora of buildings and we're talking 24 different buildings i think is the number you need a lot of these buildings need LFABs, RFABs, and I think a handful of AFABs. Sure. So you're already talking a stupendous investment. You're yeah. talking about getting consumables for all these things. And then if you're going to decide, well, you know what? I want to build twice as fast. You're going to have to now duplicate that entire effort front to back. So it's just merely, it, it, it's just literally a matter of, you want to make twice as much drinking water? Build two food plants. Except here, instead of building an extra rig and an extra food plant you're now building an entire chain the raw materials are easy they're simple raw materials but you're talking uh a lot of intermediates that all have to be built up and now when you're scoping that up you almost you i know we we deep all necked our process a little bit at one point but it was like just a lot of like if you want to go twice as fast now you have to get the entire chain going twice as fast so you need to get every intermediate built and supply to the next step and to the next step and back that first step because it feeds off itself because it's a perverse design um (laughs) those are all tough things to do so how many ships would you say you produce in a week a week then i think you asked the question wrong how many weeks per ship (laughs) so it it takes like 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 so last time i'm gonna be in my grave before they double (laughs) so so like I, I guess we were we were one every two weeks, and then we got we fixed a few things, and I believe we were at one point our cadence was one per ship, and then we like I said we fell off the wagon. So a bunch of us are still building stuff, but we're waiting for our, one of the key again. One of the key guys said, "Hey, I'm on hiatus." So we all said, "No, nah, I don't want to take your parts. We're gonna wait till you come back." Interesting. So okay, 
I hate I hate to ask this question <laughs> again, but it's just pure curiosity at this point. It really is. Nothing more, nothing less. So name me name me like one problem. Like identify in your head one problem. Like you talk about this X plus Y equals Z timing issue where it's like X takes two days, Y takes three days, then you get four days of Z. Okay. What is that? Like, if you could, it doesn't have to be like something specific. If it's something abstract, let's say it's science buildings, for instance. Like, what would be the, so the, the abstract the entire, thing that causes that? The entire, well, if you just look at the, so like I run um, the small component assembly, the ECA, the electro- energy component assembly, the electronics plants in the clean room, and advanced material labs. So these processes all feed off each other to get parts going back and forth. It's, all of them do this. Like if you look at any of the mat, if you just hit mat any one of those buildings and you start going back through it, it just all goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, so you say see, back I'm and the, forth. You say back and forth. Okay, let me back you up here. Let's let's stop yeah, I'm, here. I'm actually clicking. I'm frantically clicking through the <laughs> maps right now to figure out which ones it was because it was it really bugged me when I first started trying to map this up. And I'm like, oh, thank but then goodness, why I'm didn't you solve this. it by getting one base that does those things? It sounds like you're like it sounds to me, and forgive me if this is not the case, but it sounds to me like uh, so one so planet produces this thing. My base takes care of all the circular ones. Okay, okay, fair, right. good, so, good. That would so have driven me insane. Processors are made by yeah. So I my yeah. So yeah, I take care of all those things. I make myself, and that's that's fine. But you're just talking. You're talking just a lot of buildings that are all making different things that you just have to you just have to balance out. And it's just balancing out recipes. It's just it's a lot more complicated than you know. Oh, I believe it. Ten ten water makes seven <laughs> drinking water. It's just it's just not that anymore. Yeah, and keep in mind, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in this. Like, uh, I, I, there's a couple times where if a planet has uh, jobs open for higher tier populations, then suddenly your buildings are producing that component slower. And, and that's a good point. When you want to double your population, you better like I run engineers. So if someone pops down and needs engineers, I'm done. Or if I want to double my engineers, where am I going to get that from? Yeah, you gotta start producing. Yeah, well, and that's just, and so, it's crazy how it's crazy how the devs built built the design of this kind of problem or goal, if you will, on such a massive scale to some degree. Where it's I kind of like, though, oh, sorry. Well, I was gonna say they built it on such a massive scale, and unfortunately, they're not getting that scale that they need. And I think that I think that that's going through Mulp's head, in my opinion, or or even Mitch's head is like. That idea that it's just like, okay, we need to get, like, we've designed the game with the scale. If we don't get the scale, the game falls apart. So I guess because we're not at that scale of players, can I ask you how many uh, PP4s you guys are running? Oh, pretend, pretend like we've never, like, we're so new at this. We're basic beginners. We have not designed PP4s. I don't even know there was such a thing as a PP4. Right. So before you can even think about, like, so before you can even think about building these things, I, the CX is starting to have more of the stuff, except for guys like me buying them all for their next HQ upgrade. You need AFABs. So you need the tier four building prefabs to build some of these, to make an AM, so to make these advanced elements, you need and to build an AML, an advanced material lab. That's the building that's going to make all of your high-end stuff. That's going to make your tungsten. That's going to make your, all these materials, right? That's going to process your zirconium. It's going to process your, uh, your borosilicates, all that jazz, you need a PP4. 
Now to make that PP4, you now need to, to make that PP4 run, you need all these advanced building, advanced buildings to feed that. You need a chemical lab to make um, nano resin. You need a, you need a, a WPL to make Kevlar and you need to be making RFABs. And to make RFABs, you need to start making EPO in volumes that you won't even imagine. And it goes on and on and on. So you get into shipbuilding after you kind of get into all the other stuff first. Interesting. Huh. I, I, it's not that I didn't know that, but yeah, I never really put, put it in words, I guess, to some degree. And so you're like, right. I guess in both universes, EPO, I'm not sure, just hit, type in Matt EPO. EPO is what makes the world go around for higher fabs. And like you're talking, like you need multiple EPO bases to start thinking about even just running a few, few PP3s to keep your PP4s going. Well, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing the story goes that these PP4s, once they start degrading, they require RFABs to repair them or our AFABs to repair them. them. (laughs) And don't forget, you also need the habitats for these people. (laughs) And that costs costs AFABs and RFABs and all that jazz. It keeps going and going and going. So the, the, the habitats are nice. You build that once, they last forever. It doesn't matter if it degrades nothing, you're laughing. Right? A lot of guys will keep their, once they build it, they'll keep them on their base forever because it's like, I'm not going to lose that money, right? It's just, I lose a couple area, who cares? I'm keeping that habitat, habit, HB4 forever because it's, I'm not going to build that again. Yeah. It, it was, a, I think it's such an interesting design because it's so complicated to get to a relatively small improvement, right? <laughs> and really, if you think about it, it's, it's a question I've had. Did they do this to give an end game? Like, is that why the the chain is so difficult? So, I want you, I guess, are you guys, do you guys all have Prun open? Uh, not currently, no. I'm sitting here. I do. Listening. I do. Um, just let me try and remember the, I'm trying to try to remember the code for water reclaimers. Yes. So, the end game last universe was making WRs. Which, by the way, is something you need for a ship. That alone is an amazing set of buildings just to make that. And it's also worth saying, so now you're running scientists and engineers and technicians. You almost have to, and again, this comes back to no one uses the CX. Once you get to the engineer level, and especially to the the scientist level, you almost need guys just making consumables. Or you better be on the CX and actively buying large stockpiles of this so you don't, again, coming back to grinding to halt for a population report, you can come to grinding halt because you can't find a basic consumable now. Yeah, it, it feels to me like it's an interesting idea, right? You have this fascinating in-game thing. And, and since you're doing it, I've, I've looked at it all as a bunch of interlocking complex systems. And it feels like the complexity levels, like, the gain's a little too high on the setting. And yeah, I would, like, just mean, so my spreadsheet to keep, like, a, a T2 or T3 base going is pretty straightforward. But if you look, like, a scientist has two, four, six, seven consumables just to keep a scientist fed. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot of consumables just to for run one tier of population. And if you're running, most of these bases are mixed. So then you're talking... 13 or 15 consumables or 18 consumables to keep a mixed base going 
that's just the consumables to keep your population working. Then on top of that, you have all the materials to keep your production chains going. And you're right. And it's if you read the uh, the one Chris the one um, not open house they had the 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 devs had alluded to having kind of you buy resources for engineers and it's just you buy one like nutrition pack one and that's it instead of buying you know smart Cifidel, quality meat meal neurostimulants AI lab coat scientific workstation yada 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 so they had a, they had alluded to maybe simplicity that because you're right it it scales horribly. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Gravy, for just, uh, yeah, giving us insight into, you know, the other universe, <laughs> uh, the, the, the dual universe, um, and just your perspective on shipbuilding. Definitely given us a lot to think about. Definitely, I don't know about you guys, but definitely given me a lot to think about in terms of uh, where we go next as a corporation. Um, and I hope corporate members listening to this podcast I uh, hope it's giving you guys some thought about uh, where we're going to head next as well. So the next segment that we're heading into is one held and hosted by my good friend Lex. It is on the issues of piracy and our water cooler topic of the day. So Lex, without further ado, take it away, my friend. So this was not the original idea I had for the water cooler, but Dash decided to sort of throw a wrench into the water cooler conversation and see what came out of it. And it was very clear very quickly that the issue of piracy, which really is just the issue of people screwing up contracts deliberately and taking things, so it's more theft than piracy, is um, controversial, as I, I would describe it. It has some interesting elements to it. I would say, in general, I think most people are opposed. And I'll let. Uh, Dej basically make his argument for that. I wanted to start with kind of a counterthought about how these games are designed and and the the benefits of piracy, which may seem a little strange. Uh, and, and I think there's going to be kind of a natural tendency, and I'm going to digress very briefly. Uh, there's going to be some natural tendencies to compare it to other space sims such as Eve. Uh, Eve is Eve Online is particularly famous for its uh, pirate culture, and the game's been very successful for that. So I will start by pointing out that having a bad element in a game, something that causes friction and discomfort and bad outcomes, does not always produce a bad game. In fact, I'm going to use one of our favorite examples, uh, Factorio. Now, I, I actually, because of my computational uh, requirements for the mega bases generally turn off the bad guys but i've played the game with the bad guys on and they're in a way sort of impeding against everything the players are trying to do and so there is there is an argument to be made that having bad things that force community that force group solutions are not always a bad thing and in fact i might even argue that in the aggregate obviously the individuals affected are quite are not going to like it but there is a strengthening of the community when a community has to deal with a bad actor and in a way this is one of the uh, great things about the big space sims of which this is a type of game where you have a community in which you can do things almost a libertarian paradise nobody's regulating your behavior nobody's telling you what to do 
and it is inevitable in that, that that even without piracy there are going to be bad actors there are going to be people that cause problems that break up the politics that piss people off these are normal and in a way it can be dangerous but a community particularly when the bad actors are relatively limited can actually be strengthened by it and i would say that there are strong incentives in this game quite quite strong to make piracy an unprofitable you might make some money for a while but good luck going off by yourself and doing all the other things now you've got a bunch of money go sit in a corner and die i don't know if any of you've ever watched uh uh, there's the the really cheap B movie Battle Beyond the Stars, but there's this guy that's been an assassin everywhere. It's based on a, a, some other stories, but he's sitting on a planet, ball by himself, and he's totally unsafe. And so the hero comes along and needs his help. And the only thing this guy wants is a place to stay and food, because he's, he's just wealthy beyond belief. He's got everything, but he's got no safety. He's got no place he can go because he spent his life being such a bad person. And so there are fairly strong negatives. I would also say that piracy is not particularly common. It is in many ways highly regulated by the players within the game to keep it from becoming an issue. So there is an argument, I think, to be made that the community as a whole is actually benefiting from the way in which it addresses these problems, thinks through them, and deals with the issues. And I'll make one final point, and then I'll allow uh, uh, welcome counterpoints. But bad actors also create opportunities. One of the most basic is they create potential markets, for example, and things in insurance. They create opportunities for players to come up with structures to deal with it. They, it is not entirely bad in a game to have negatives which force positives. And that is the, the point I would like to make before throw it out to some counterpoints. So I do have some counterpoints. <laughs> um, and the main one is, as implemented right now, uh, this game does not benefit from any of the benefits that you kind of said might be pro-bad outcome. There is only one way to deal with a pirate in-game, and that is to block for every individual player in the game to block them from taking uh, ads. Uh, which a single bad actor then forces an entire universe of people to do something um, to prevent... There is no safe. There's no enforced safety anywhere. Well, so it... Not an entire universe. You do have to have access to the local market um, to really be at risk. But, but would, having... you not, would you not consider the way in which players build trust relationships? The, the way in which players interact in smaller little groupings where they get to know people, they get to develop trust relationships based on a little bit of risk would not create a more vibrant community than one that's fundamentally safe. Um, maybe. So well, I'm so I, I guess, go ahead. So I guess just before I guess just one before this evolves into the next because I, I can see where this is going to evolve and I just want to throw in one tidbit at this level. The the whole the devs that have always said they want to do simple things that create emergent Garrett gameplay. You guys want to build ships someday. No one would build ships if shipping worked all the time. It was super easy. 
people build ships because they don't trust shippers. Right? It's an emergent effect that you're creating those relationships. Like Lexander just said, those emer- those relationships, we now have private contracts. You ship for me twice and I trust you. I will send you shipping contracts privately and I'll never go public again. If there was a no threat of piracy, I would just put it up there that the market forces tell me what the prices are. This creates an entire interaction only based on the fact that we don't trust everyone. Sorry, that was just my little blip before it evolved past that. Yeah, yeah, no. And I, my counter to that is that that's probably not the primary reason why people don't want to use uh, local markets for shipping. Uh, I, I, it definitely is not the only one, but it does have some impact. I think, I think though, that, I mean, it does have some impact, sure. Um, I think the piracy is not the main issue there. More often than not, goods go, you, you lose goods in shipping because the player goes AFK <laughs> for an indefinite period of time. Not intentionally. I've had that, I've had that happen, yeah. And I think that's, that's uh, you know, so there is a negative side effect there, but the 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 problem with piracy is, and so there's some risk there, and that, that seems fine to me. Like, if your goods don't get from point A to point B, that's fine. Uh, there's an inherent that creates market incentive to create stability in like st- stable shipping lanes and that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and relationships and other kinds of things. I don't have a problem with that. The problem becomes with piracy where that becomes intentional and uh, malicious where they are trying to cause negative behaviors, negative effects aggressively. And, and, and I'm actually saying, so I'm going to make the following claim. And, and you can fight it. A lot of highly successful social structures in human beings are based on facing common threats. This was actually a water cooler comment. I really thought about it. I agree, right? That human beings, when nobody's around to threaten us, we break into little disagreeing little groups. When we start facing common threats, our communities develop. And then, interesting enough, yep. when the threat goes away, we often lose that community that some of the elements that drive us to community, obviously there's the camaraderie, there's the friendship, which I think are very powerful things. But like if there is a piracy channels in Discord where people go around and like that person screwed me and there's a whole community response to that. And most of the time, as you pointed out, it's somebody just messed up, they made a mistake, but actual pirates do appear and the community has essentially developed community watches and community responses that are specifically designed around uh, dealing with what is clearly just a pure negative. Like the pirate does not make the game, like they don't add a good thing to the game in and of itself. The response to the negative is the good thing in this case. Well, but the issue with that is that we don't actually, as players, have the ability to deal with a pirate effectively. Well, there, there's many fa- there's many risks in life that that's true for. We can't stop earthquakes. That doesn't mean that we don't spend time as communities trying to address the problems. There was well, no, but let, what I'm saying is, like with with an earthquake, you can build stronger structures that are resilient to earthquakes. You can um, change, uh, you know, if you live in a flooding area, you can change, you know, how you build channels for water to to flow around and 
you know, basements are in areas where there's a lot of cold weather and all these things. We we can we have mechanisms in real life for dealing with those things. They're not perfect. But in the game, we really don't. We do. It's called the CX. No one uses it, but the commodity exchange is always, if I lift something for sale, the only reason it comes off for sale is someone paid me for it or my good isn't still there. The commodity exchange is the guaranteed safe way that will always work. No one's going to pick up my buy or sell ad and mess me up if it's on the CX. It's always 100% safe. The local market's the wild, wild west. And with custom contracts coming up, then you can do your whole deposits and securities. But right now, we have a safe way. You can play safe. You don't have to ever use the LM. If you choose to, there's risk. If the LM is 100% safe down the road, no one's going to use the CX, and we lose a, what I think is an integral part of the game. I Yeah, but the the problem is I see... The logist the logistics are uh, logistics are constrained that if if you want to play a perfectly safe game, you can't actually do much because you have to run all of it yourself. You have to only use the commodity exchange that severely limits you on what you can buy and sell and when you can buy and sell it because sometimes. Prices go crazy, um, which is all fine and good. Uh, but the only real direct tool in game that you have to deal with a pirate is just a whole bunch of players going and manually blocking them. And and the the most recent pirate paid for the game. He's got a pro account. So, well, uh, they can have a basic account. No, he had a pro because he he was. Oh, no, 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 uh, I'm talking about I'm talking about pirates in general. Pirates in general could have a basic account, yes, but he paid at least one month. And, all pirates have to pay once. Yeah, they have to at least pay once. Um, and I don't know if somebody who wants to just go see the world, excuse me, see the world burn. I don't, I don't know that we have. We don't have in-game mechanisms for actually dealing with that. We just have ways of not playing parts of the game. Well, and that's why I say I'm, that piracy is such a... I don't want to sound like a heart, it's a harsh take, but it, 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 it does need more development because there is no way to deal with piracy, right? You know, think of games like I brought up, and that's why I brought it up in the water cooler. Um, you know, games like Sea of Thieves, right? It's like everybody kind of is like, all right, like we're all here. It, it's sort of weird. Like, and it's actually, Lex, you brought up a perfect example about Factorio, for instance, right? It's like you turn off the, you turn off the enemies in Factorio. And I do too. Why? Because that's what I enjoy about Factorio. I don't enjoy the enemy component. I enjoy the mega base factory, massive factory base thing. And the thing is, this game attracts those types of people, these massive mega base types of people. And so piracy, it's like, there's just no way for us to deal with it. There's, it's a very one way, like a one-sided sort of argument, right? And that's why it's so poorly developed right now is because it's just like, yeah, it's just like, oh, like it's essentially, and like, it's funny, like when you play Sea of Thieves, for instance, like I've played it back in the day, you know, and you steal, you steal stuff from another ship. It's like, yes, that is stealing 
but nobody it's not as it doesn't feel as bad as this does right this it's like i can't retaliate i can't i can't do something about it it's like it's just like this has been stolen and that's it like too bad so sad right but here's an interesting thing that i would say it there is unconscious within us so piracy is heavily punished by the game itself and the way that players react to it you a pirate gets a very small gain and has virtually no reason to do it for a long period of time it's inherently already a rare activity and one of the things i'll make a claim on that i don't think people often consciously think about there are many types of activities that we enjoy because there's a mild amount of risk and if you completely remove all that risk it becomes dull and uninteresting we don't think that way but it's there we don't consciously think that way a lot of times but it's there and it and things like roller coasters or you know climbing some people climb and things it's like part of the experiences there's an inherent risk in the activity the risk is generally speaking very low and it's better that it's low because if it's very high it's extremely disruptive but the game has got a low piracy rate but the fact that there is a low piracy rate that that is part of the risk does add uh, an element of excitement and participation that at least some of the players are going to enjoy can i add to that just sorry, just a quick one to add to the enjoyment and back to Alexander's community building. I joined MKM because I became a hauler. I hauled for a gentleman over and over again. And he said, Hey, you seem a pretty cool dude. Why don't you join us? First join as associate, get a lot more hauling contracts available. And then from there, join the corporation. And a lot of our current members is because someone would haul for one of us quite a few times. Hey, you seem trustworthy come join our Discord as a hauler, build our trust, and join the company in the end. If piracy, if we didn't want to have a select group of people we know to haul for us, we would just post them willy-nilly and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, here's a big ad, don't steal it, please. But now it's like, no, hey, I'm reposting four really juicy shipping ads from a gas giant here. They're going to be up in an hour. You guys watch for them and grab them. And suddenly, you're that community, you're creating a community and you're encouraging people to come together. Like exactly what Alexander is saying. That all happens over and over again. Your company is forming just because you guys have a podcast and all these people sign up. But most of the corporations, they grow that way. This whole piracy forces people to find trusted people and build that relationship. I think if there is no piracy, a lot of that organic corporation growth wouldn't happen because there'd be no reason to. Well, I don't care. I'll just post on the LM. It, it'll get there for sure. I get my money back. See, but I don't think I don't think uh, what I'm advocating for is not the it'll post it on the LM. It'll get there for sure. Um, but what I'm saying is, like, I actually think that the game would almost be better if you ramped up piracy a little bit, but in a way that gives players ability to combat it. Not win completely, but combat it. How would you do that? So that's that's a great place to take this, because I think we sort of covered the goods and bads. If you were to change piracy, how would you change it? Well, like, for example, I think that um, a piracy right now as doesn't... Like, if I was going to create an account and go be a pirate, it doesn't feel like a legitimate way to play. I can do it, but it feels like I'm breaking the game. Because there's, it's just, it's like a, 
it almost feels like a broken mechanic of, oh, I just don't finish the contract and I'm using that mechanic as a way to become a pirate. Whereas if I had ships and I could like stalk uh, transit lines and have a percentage chance of intercepting a ship and taking the goods. But but then you then then you have then you can do all sorts of things like um maybe that you're maybe you have that at like a system where you land in the system and while your your engine is recharging for the next uh, FTL jump you have a chance of being pirated. Well then you start setting up bases and other things in that system to make piracy uh you know if you if there's a, like a whole bunch of fleets in that area maybe um it becomes less likely or whatever. And so you get these you get these mechanics where the pirates can do something and the players can adjust to it. And the pirates can do something and the players can adjust to it. Um, that type of thing. And then maybe you give governors of, of planets of a certain size the ability to blanket ban certain players from the local market. And so the piracy then can't go to core systems, but they can do stuff on like systems around the edge. And so it becomes safe because right now a local market ad for a shipping is unsafe everywhere all the time period the end from a legitimate like i'm a pirate i'm gonna take all these ads um and you all the only way for you to stop that is for you to to individually as a player know randomly that you i've checked the pirate channel and scrolled back up in the list to find all the people who are pirates and blocked them. Nah, actually, you know what I do? I don't know if you do this, but I do this. So if I ever, like, first of all, I'm one that doesn't use the local market that much. I really don't. Uh, I just don't see a need for it much right now. But, uh, well, and I use it a few times. That's that's not true. I use it a few times. Um, but if the player, like, I will always, like, a lot of people kind of willy-nilly do these local market contracts where they're very much like, oh, like, um... You know, yeah, I got somebody. Cool beans, right? No problem, no sweat. But then, um, like, it takes two to tango, right? And so the thing is, is if somebody's new, if somebody's new, and if somebody is, like, pending or, like, there's, like, not much there, it's like, I'm not budging. I am not budging on this. I will let this contract breach. I will let it expire. I, I will not budge. So, for instance, if I'm selling goods, for instance, like sell goods, right? It's like, okay, I am going to sell you the like I'll provision the goods the moment you give me the cash. That is it. Like if you are if you are newer than me, that's it. Like that that's just the rule. Like and so any new players listening to this podcast, just to let you know if it's like, oh, like why does nobody provision the goods before I pay them? It's because you're new, right? Like we're not well, dumb. But- um that works for buying and selling that works for like this guy was this and pirate for shipping it doesn't and, yeah shipping i don't even i never trust i never use shipping yep. period period i never use shipping at all and that's but, the thing is like but there's no way for there's no way for you to like you have to do all behind the scenes Yeah, I have to do behind the scenes research. I mean, I think I think, I think I think custom work. contracts solve a lot of this. Like, well, if I was like, just going to say, I think we're getting hung up on something that might go away in six months. 
Yeah. Once we can post custom contracts on the LM, which I think is the long-term play, then it's going to be like, hey, I have a $10,000 shipment for you, but you got to put up uh, an escrow or whatever. That's going to take care of a lot of this. That's well, absolutely, and that's, but, and that, yeah, and that's, that's what I mean by ways to combat it without just stopping playing half the game. No, you know, it's going to have an interesting side effect to collateral, though. Uh, collateral on shipping is going to change the time value quite a bit and will almost certainly raise the cost of shipping in interesting ways, right? I think, I think the interesting is there's going to be two markets, though. There's going to be the, the high clash, like, I used to ship. No exaggeration, like 4,000 Galarite in a week from Katoa to the, the bed. I would just post it, and it all went. I never got pirated once. But, well, and but if and you maybe force, that's just dumb luck. If you but, force collateral, the if I'm saying if you put a collateralized ship transport, the cost to the shipper and their profit on their money. So right now, like I said, I'm a new player. One, I'm not going to be able to afford the collateral. Two, unless I'm reasonably wealthy, the value to me for that transport is considerably less because I had to put money up to pay for it. So that would actually buy it. And the optimum price of shipping would go up, which may actually benefit some players because I think shipping in some areas is a little too cheap. But that's a whole separate conversation. But it well, might be some shipping would go up. Not all shipping. Like, there's going to be a whole bunch of shipments where, like, people ship stuff all the time where they, if it gets pirated, eh, you know, I, I would prefer for it not to, but it's not going to break me in any way. That's it. I was going to say, I think the gallery, right? My gallery shipping is a perfect example. Where it's like, I, I honestly, if you want to steal it, it's like, congratulations. You now have a lot <laughs> yeah, of really you heavy know, mineral. You did it. You stole <laughs> yeah. my gallery. <laughs> yeah. I, but I, if I, I want to ship, if I have the need to ship AFABs from, um, uh, Antares to Moria. <laughs> Somebody, some new players like pirates your AFABs and they don't know what they have on their hands. Right. What's, this, what's this advanced thing? <laughs> like, oh, if, it's, if it's like three AFABs, it's not a lot of weight or size or anything, but it's really valuable to me. And I want to make sure it gets there. And I'm willing to pay to make sure it gets there. But I can't I think, do that today. I think there could be. A good I think point. what you could do is that will help. Someday, and I want to see this. So Neek has like I think it's like a hundred ton ship. It flies stupid fast between like stupid fast between CXs. So it's like that's where it's like I'm putting up this high value shipment. I might not even send put on the LM. I'm gonna send it straight to Neek, and I'm like I need this move from A to B. You are my man. Make it happen. Give me a price. But in a sense, that's why piracy. That's a thing that piracy can like. It's an indirect side effect of piracy is to encourage players to come up with solutions like that, right? Exactly. I, I actually... So I'm actually, contrary to the position I've taken, I'm actually pro-piracy in the game. I just don't think as currently implemented, it's a good thing. Well, it sounds like we've actually reversed our position because... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> this, has been a, this has actually been a really good conversation and I, and I, want, I do want to wrap it up. Dehas uh, is getting I, banned from the podcast. Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> and I will, I will actually make a final point, which unfortunately has nothing to do with any of the things we talked about, but to me is sort of the ton of bricks argument. And, and I'll make it, and other people can disagree, but I kind of want to finish on this point. I think that the way the game is today, that I think almost no players are going to join the game to become pirates. But I think that pirates, unfortunately, can cause players to leave the game. And to yes. me, yeah. Yeah. that is 
that is the biggest counter argument. You know what? Devs, if you're listening to this, there you go. No, there you have it. That actually is the nail in the coffin. It is you're 100% right. It's it's more of a detriment right now than a bonus. To like and I get the idea. Like we we talk all the time about like an Eve, right? That it's like um people are like, "Oh, like Eve has like warfare," right? And that's that and people are like, "Cool," right? Like there's like almost like a consensual sort of like relationship there where it's like I fight you, you fight me, we have fun fighting each other. But like you said, has the way that piracy is currently set up right now, there's not that handshake. There's not that handshake. It's a very one-sided thing. And like you said, Lex, is that, yeah, like people don't come to the game to be pirates, right? People are like, oh, like, and it's funny because we're going to talk, so we're going to talk about some reviews. Uh, and I've, I've been reading a lot of reviews. Um, and in the reviews, they are like, oh, there's no warfare. There's no this. And I'm like, yeah, but like nobody comes to to be a pirate. But yes, you're right. People do leave because they were the victim of piracy, which is definitely what yeah, the devs want. Right they now. don't want is that we don't have warfare. None of our stuff gets destroyed, and that's what appeals to a lot of players. Like I, I, this is my idol game. This is my for years now. This has been my idol game. And like, and I guess I alluded to this. When we we're talking before, before we started recording. When the first major pirate event happened. Because you guys talked about it before, it's like you can pirate anywhere you want all at once. There was a gentleman that opened a warehouse on every LM planet and pirated everything. Because you can. That's why there's an LM limit now. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever hit it, but you can. Oh, I've hit it. A hard limited even the game. But like, there's a reason that's there is because that was just kind of a someone just can't wreck the game for everyone in one feature. Because it's like literally that gentleman pirated. I think it was hundreds. Of LM ads, like every buy, every sell, every haul, he just pirated everything. And for a game where nothing gets destroyed, nothing gets broken, nothing gets ruined, to suddenly have every, the whole, the entire economy just grind to like all the local markets just got robbed. Like it, like back to what you're saying, uh, CPair, people quit. A lot of people got very very worked up and that was a massive event that showed exactly i think i think you struck it right there on the head this is something that causes people to quit but it doesn't add that much fun gameplay well and said somebody said and somebody said it was it you gravy or somebody said that they want like emergent gameplay we've already talked in the podcast lots about what emergent gameplay could look like for this game like i still go back i think it was episode three uh four or five where i bring up this concept about this sort of like emergent event where it's like, you know, um, yeah, like this 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 planet needs medical supplies. Everybody that supplies medical supplies for this quarter gets like a, like cash or, or gets something, right? And it's like if everybody does it, everybody maybe gets a ship, right? Like so it's like it maybe it's a community goal, right? I, I've seen it in like Destiny 2, for instance, where that kind of became a big thing. And that and I will say this though is like if you do those things you need to have relevant goals like such as everybody that donate like if you hit this donation milestone everybody gets a glass STL right and then it's like okay if everybody hits this milestone then you get an STL and and so on and so forth. I guess I just want to say for emergent gameplay I guess for me I'm looking at what you guys were talking about before for banking these custom contracts will let us do amazing things. And I think that's going to be a massive immersion gameplay coming out, but I'll stop there before we get into what we could do with that. <laughs> Sounds like a no. good topic for next time. Yeah, no, I love it. Awesome. That's been fantastic. 
Well, thanks, Lex, for the uh, for the engaging water cooler conversations. Uh, definitely, and thank you everybody that has contributed to the water cooler conversations. Uh, just been really fantastic overall, and just uh, really, really fantastic. All right, so yes, the last segment that we got for tonight, uh, for this evening, is purchase our produce. Like we said last week, we just kind of ran out of time, unfortunately, but it is one of my favorite segments uh, within the podcast. So I will turn the mic back over to Lex for uh, purchase or produce. And I'm going to throw a slight uh, curveball that I didn't tell you about, which is that we're going to change, not going to change format, but I'm going to change the question ever so slightly. Uh, And the reason I'm doing this is because it's becoming clear that once you get past the lowest tiers, in many cases, there isn't much of a CX, which is something we talked about earlier. So I'm going to ask the same question, but I'm going to add a couple of secondary questions. And so I'm going to basically be whether you're going to produce it, are you going to procure it? And then if you're going to produce it, are you going to provide it to other people? And I'll ask the question specifically, are you just going to use it for yourself? And then if you're procuring it, are you doing it through a partnership or is it something you think you can purchase? And the reason I want to do that is when the topic is something where you might not be able to purchase it, I still want people to be able to talk about how they would get it. And the idea here is that certain things are just part of your chain and not necessarily things you're putting on the market. And I wanted to maybe give a little thing. We'll play with the format a little bit, but I wanted people to be able to answer in terms of are you essentially someone who's providing it in the chain or is it something you're procuring it from others, even if you're not getting it from the CXs? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think this yep. adds some nuance that I think we were missing. Yep. So it also lets me get into some things where I think the answer will never be you can purchase it, but it'll still be, are you providing it in the chain or are you procuring it from other people? So let's start with uh, some basic ones. Uh, and this is one that I have actually been thinking about, Flux which we'll go over it's essentially something that's made and a lot of you probably know but i'll say for anybody it's made out of limestone and it is primarily something which makes probably the most basic thing it does there's some other recipes but it makes it a little easier to smelt materials so if you're in this particular business is this something that you would see yourself producing or procuring and i'll open up the forum to anyone who wants to express so I guess I can add, because I actually use a lot of flux for one of my bases. I I don't make it, but I what I will say is I keep a very large stockpile, because if your base is built around it, when you run out of it, the other metal recipes suck. They completely so, throw you out of whack, and they jump up your price per unit. So is this something that you generally get by purchasing from the market, or is this something you yeah. get in partnership? So you buy it. So I buy it off. I'm a, like I've said before, I'm a big, I do almost as much as I can off the market, but because flux is so critical and sometimes the market gets so thin, I keep my, my main hub is uh, Benton, the CX. And I keep a ridiculous stash there just because I can't afford to have a gap in that supply. But so you basically take this as I'm going to buy a lot of it and then I'm going to stash it. And when I need it, I'm going to make sure I've got it. And then every time I resupply my base, I make sure, like, if I bring 120 out to Mentor, I buy another 120 on the CX so that my stash is unchanged. That's actually interesting. So, and I'll ask uh, maybe, so when you stash it at the exchange, do you do it by putting it on the market or do you just keep a warehouse? 
I keep it. I the ever since they opened up the warehouse storage, I everything's just been on the just I keep it in my inventory. Is this something you've got regular buy orders out, or do you just? No, nope, I will just... buy. So when I do my resupply, I will order the next batch. But then if it runs out, what I'll do is I'll look at the price chart and I'll be like, okay, you know what? The last batch sold at five hundred. I'll put a nice healthy order there at five hundred and rebuild. I'll make sure that. I'm one of the first ones to get filled back up when they put it back on the CX, when it gets back on the CX again. So anybody else have an opinion? What, uh, what, where are you, which, uh, excuse me, which exchange are you buying this from? I'm usually on the Ben CX. Okay. But yeah, I'll so, go one step further, what I do, sorry, just to expand. Yeah, go for it. Um, so not so much for stuff like Flux, but for a lot of higher end items, what I'll do is I'll try and buy it on the Ben CX. But if I know, if I'm not sure if it's going to be there in time, and I'm worried about it, I will go then and I'll buy it off another CX and I'll build a stash there that's then ready for me to bring over next time if I do need it. And I will say that it's interesting because I don't use Flex myself, but I do know several players who do, and they essentially do the same thing. They have huge stashes somewhere, and they just buy it in bulk when they when it's available, and then, um, and then there's a couple people who who produce it that just sell large batches of it i actually suspect that this is something i will probably produce i've actually given some thought to it given where i'm at and given how much limestone is used in my current chain i've thought about adding it as an additional capability so you know it's interesting because on antari's exchange right now there are zero offers there's lots of requests no offers and And i I can see that and so, uh, one of the interesting things about entire space is uh, there's lots of limestone. So you can actually make this stuff really easily. Limestone is flowing in Antares. Probably getting used for other things because it's used heavily. In yeah. I suspect that there's a lot of people who are just have this as uh, they produce it themselves in the supply line because uh, limestone is so easy to come by. So now, Alexander, would you be putting this on the market? I guess to ask your question, will you be make it just for you, or would you make a little extra and see I, if you can become the next I, Flux King? If I provided it, it would probably be with incorporation. The I, next I expect Flux that King. I, <laughs> I would. My expectation is because I anticipate, just based on sort of where I'm going in corporation, that I'm going to become a smelter and a, basically a very heavy smelter. I'm already doing aluminum smelting, and so I can see myself. Uh, basically making enough to supply my own needs probably my thinking is probably just a plant that'll do it and then it's just something that i've got that is just part of my chain and i don't have to deal with any of anybody else because i already need to go because i'm probably going to get into limestone production just because they use a lot of it this is kind of my thinking i may change my mind later so have you guys, as a corporation, started working on the classic, oh, we have internal prices. This is our flux guy. If you need a regular supply, talk to him. He'll expand his production. He's your guy. Uh, we've done that with uh, DDT. not flux, but yeah, DDT. DDT, yeah. we do that already. Yeah. yeah. So it begins. And so it begins. And I'm thinking <laughs> of Babylon 5 now, I must admit. But that ages me right there. Flux yeah, is really... There's no shame in Babylon 5. Sorry. Yeah such a good show it's great there's no um flex is not complex nope simple um yeah <laughs> I, I, had somebody, runs out of it. I had somebody just like say i i'm 
offer me flux to smelt aluminum as if it was nothing. The aluminum was what he needed. <laughs> the flux is cheap and easy. Well, I actually have excess aluminum production, so if you know this person, send them my way. <laughs> I don't have a lot, but I actually am I am producing excess aluminum specifically. So, yeah. okay. so that's the first one. I, I, I've got a the second one is steel, which shows up in a couple of more advanced formulas. They're obviously <clears throat> RBHs, RSEs. They're part of basic hull plates. They show up in power tools. They are specifically built from a combination of oxygen and iron. So essentially, they're an upgrade of your iron to a fancier thing. So anybody have an opinion on whether this is something that they purchase or they procure? Have you looked at the weights? The weights are high, which is part of the question, right? And, and the weights to make it are high. So, so how does that drive your decision? Is this something... So... I guess so for me, if I'm using something, if I have a steel chain, which thankfully I'm out of these days, it's a you make it and you make the next step because almost everything that comes from steel shrinks it right back down. So you're better off being on a Gibson type world, extract your oxygen, make your metal, make your steel and make your power tools right there. Just don't just don't move it. Just just make it all there and get rid of it. So make it big. A, this is very much a provide it for your basically get make, produce it for yourself and don't sell it. Or give it to anybody because it, you, it, you can't it's just it's it's seven tons it's eight tons of pop it's it's, it's one of those things that's it's fairly limited in numbers you need so do you does that affect it at all or is it just too heavy? yeah you can produce a lot of power tools with not much steel but if you're going into like this is for our fabs i think would be where you're looking at it and it's like you need you actually need to pretty much that one smelter making steel is feeding your one EPO plant making RBH. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I haven't resolved it myself, but I suspect that this is probably something that just becomes part of my chain. I, I produce it for myself. Well, well I actually, I, oh, sorry. I, I just make power tools because I'm in consumables. And so I, at the moment I purchase it. Um, just because that's like getting started, but is even, it just straight off the market, or is just straight off the market? Okay. Um, because it's easy, and the the planet that's producing the power tools is in the same system, so I don't even need an STL to get it there. And, and it's worth and, as oh, and I, but that said, steel is super expensive. I'm making more on it than I am. It's costing me for sure, but I would much rather go find a base where I can just set this chain up and produce tons of power tools and ship lightweight components off that than deal with the mess that I'm dealing with now. I just don't have that yet. And I guess a little back, going back to shipbuilding for a quick second, if you know, if you ever look at light hull plates versus basic hull plates, this is why you upgrade to light hull plates. Because you're either moving 12 aluminum or one steel to your uh, hull welding plant. And that's why regular hull plates are horrible. I was curious about that because, yeah, I was, in fact, uh, we can move on to the next one in a second because it's very closely related. Unless you have an opinion, Super, I'd like to hear your thoughts. If you have one, otherwise we'll move on. Uh, no, no. Everything that has been said has been said. So the next one is actually fairly specialized and it's very much a shipbuilding type of thing. And that is helium, not HE3, but just straight up helium. And where does this fit in your chain? If you need it, 
and it's specifically a very much a ship part thing and as a organization we're thinking about ship parts so is this something that you see yourself being on the procuring side or the producing side i can actually speak to this one first and i would say procure, procure uh because it's actually very close to um one thing you kind of mentioned gravy i don't know if you remember but you kind of said that you know um there's just these little obscurities right that exist in the world and i would say that helium is one of them to some degree looking at the recipe book for helium um it, it it's great for like LH, lhps bhp so like basic hull plates all that and advanced in, in the hull plate business um considering you need a lot of it for sure but this is where i'd go with it like taking a look um it, it's obviously produced like uh pro like the markets have it like the the cx's have it so and it's at a good price i would say overall um but i mean yeah you, if you find a good planet to procure it or like produce it at then make it happen but i would say procure honestly and and, and is that procurement just buy it off the market or do you think this is something you go on a partnership on yeah, I would sorry say that again. If it buy it oh, off the market so, or what? So basically, there's two options. You can either go to the CX and purchase it, yeah, or you can develop a partnership, either just someone you're trading with or someone yeah. in a chain. Yeah, I would probably try to find a partner. Honestly, uh, I just wouldn't try to produce it myself. That's actually one of the things you know, talking about our ship journey, our shipbuilding journey. Um, one of the things I'm looking at, especially right now with people is just like, uh, like carbon or other things that are just like, there's just no point. There's no reasonable point to use up a base to, to get this material, such as like oxygen or just to go after one little thing. I'm like, no, you know what? Get it from the market. It's produced well enough on the market, get enough on the market. If we have a... If we have a discrepancy where all of a sudden the market doesn't produce this thing, then we'll have further talks. Then we'll have future talks about what we can do further. But until that moment happens, and I don't see that happening anytime soon, such as things like oxygen, limestone, things like that, procure it. Just procure it. There's there's more advanced things that we need to go into than, than just these basics to some degree. I, I there seems to be dead on because I yeah. think... There's a trap of, oh, man, if we open a gas tap, we can have it for like 10 a unit. Like, we should do that. We're going to reduce our cost per unit so much. It's like, yeah, you will. But if you do that across the board, you die on the, well, we're making everything from scratch. So we're actually saving nothing. Yeah. And, and again, we go back to money is not the primary problem with shipbuilding. I mean, you do need but, liquidity. But I will say, let's say you decide you want to be a big trust manufacturer, right? There's a big need for trust. The trust market's actually fairly active. If you want to build trusses full-time, maybe you should develop your own helium supply because that will give you that cost edge. Then you can run the market down to the ground and still make your profit. But if that's not your primary focus, yeah, just buy it and build a big stash. Yeah, and that's a good point. Is it, This is really a volume question. Um, that The more volume you're going to do with in selling the thing that you're making from the helium, the more you're going to want to source it yourself. Next one will be... Good job, Lex. That's why I pay you. A little, <laughs> a little heavier than anything we've talked about for a while. and But it's very relevant because we've been talking about shipbuilding. The RFABs. 
are you somebody who goes and provides this in the market or is are you not going to touch this and you're going to procure it uh, uh so this is complicated um because are if you're an individual uh who's not part of a corporation you probably just buy them depending on what you're doing you probably just buy them off the market they're very expensive they're very expensive but what what goes into making them a lot yeah that's the thing is as an individual you're building a chain you're building a chain you're not you're not you're not building a pp3 and building up rfabs you are building a whole chain or else your rfabs are almost as expensive as the off the market yeah and so that's why i say as an individual it doesn't matter almost doesn't matter how expensive they are you just buy them because you don't need to, to play huge portions of the game and what you want to do you probably don't need that many of them and you just you take the hit as a corporation with a bunch of players trying to do shipbuilding you probably need to be able to produce them well, I think it also depends. At this point in the universe, you can get away getting them off the market. You can say, hey, in the next six months, we're going to need some. I'll start stashing them up. Yeah, absolutely. Six months ago, you would have to build them or at least start talking to people who do them and get a contract, like start making a deal to get them built for you. But now they're on the CX. So now you can start doing it. Or you do a collaboration. You or you yeah. either go big and put three base permits against it, or you get a couple buddies together and say, "Hey, you make EPO, I'll make this, and let's let's make it happen." Yeah. Now a, a deeper question: Is this something that, let's say, you are a producer of it? Is this something that you see entirely as an internal chain, or is this something that you think you might put on the market? Well, From I, what I have seen. Most fabs of all levels overflow ends up on the market. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I think another thing to look at too, it's, I, haven't, I haven't followed the markets that closely here, but in the previous universe, I was in the EPO market. I made EPO, it's intermediate. And it was one of those things that the RFAB demand was so high that people just started like actually putting massive bids on the CX to get the EPO market going. So that way you could skip making that intermediate like they actually created they sustained they made that market happen and it actually sustained itself after that and it was a great it was a great thing because then people could tech up into something that had a real demand so what are the downsides trying to do this other than the complexity like what 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 are the arguments i would say for going the other way and saying you know what i am i'm always going to just partner with somebody on this like, is, is this ever, is this something you literally partner with in a corporation or do you see yourself doing anything with any other player? I think it's just a matter of where do you want your efforts to go? Like, if you're deciding to go into RFABs, you're giving up a certain amount of your shipping and amount of your base pimp permits towards it. So it's like, you're now saying a quarter of my long-term business is going to be RFABs. Do you want to make that call? That's That's the decision you have to make. And if you're doing something, if your primary goal is to do something mostly unrelated to RFABs, but you just need a few RFABs to do what you're trying to do, then the answer is going to be no, you always buy it somewhere. Even if you just need a slow trickle, you make a deal. 
But if you're going to need mass quantities, regular supply of RFABs, then that's a tougher call. So just as more of a general question, what are the things you would say are the things that a player needs to really be thinking about if they get into this business? This is kind of a more general question, but like there's a there's a supply chain here. What would you say are the tricks and traps of this? I don't normally ask this question, but I am curious for this particular time. So you're talking for T3 in general or for making RFABs? Um, I would say specifically with RFABs, just if you want to make RFABs as a thing. I think you would have to, it, it all depends how much of the chain you want to do on your own. But I think, I think this would be one of those ones where it's like, especially because you're getting to T3, now it's like you, you, you need to make sure that you have, you're now at the point where if you're going to go off the CX, you need to make sure you have those stashes. Like you need to have, you can't just expect to buy it every time. It's like, no, you buy a month's supply and it's sitting, in, it's sitting there waiting for you. But I will say, for example, right now on the Ben CX, there's 16,000 EPO on the market listed for sale. So the market's there and it's healthy. So maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to go halfway. Maybe you, this is where it's like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And if I like building it, that's when you can start saying, you know what, I want to get my price per unit. I'm going to go big. That's where I'm going to start making my own EPO. But maybe for now you just say, you know what, I'll hit, I'll take the hit on the cost. And go. You can, and that's the nice thing. We're starting to reach the point. Where you can go. Ha- there are intermediates coming up for some items. Which ones would you say that there are? Like just 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 since you're in this market. Like, um, well, actually, I'm not. I haven't played. I haven't played uh, RFABs for EPO for a long time. But EPO is a good example. EPO is a huge part of what you need to build. So it's like if you can get if if EPO is on the market and you can see it is now. It's like hey, maybe you do just pop up that PP3 where you're building your own steel. So yeah, that's a great example, actually. So you're on Gibson, you make your steel there, but you bring in the prefabs that uses BFABs and, and steel and EPO. It's like, you know what? I'll make my own steel. I'll build a PP3. And then go from there, you can build RBH and RSE, no problem. Get some Kevlar you're, and you're rocking out. You got all your, uh, you got all your prefabs right there. Thank you for that discussion. And we'll do one last one before we uh, call it a segment. And this is one specifically related to base building sealant and where that fits into how people go about that. So I guess I'll, if, um, yeah. sealant is now a common commodity. Yeah. You just, you just buy see it. it. You just straight up buy it. You're done. Yep. Uh, last universe, we actually called it 1.5 basis. You had T1 planets and you had T1.5 with sealant basis. It was like, it's so cheap and common. You just, you just plan to like, you could tell players, Hey, start on that planet. You just need some SCA. Don't worry about it. Just start there. So I'll, yeah. I'll ask a related question. Any of the other materials like that difficult that you would say, or you wouldn't do that with? Oh boy. You can, you can go deep like ints. Uh, Insofoam, I guess, right now is common, but that one can get very expensive. H uh, hardened structure elements is uh, I haven't followed that market for a long time. We have a weird mix of planets this universe, but let me just pull up the cost for HSC. HSC, I remember being expensive. I, I avoid HSC if I at all can because it is super expensive. And it's the the devil because you need one per building. Yeah, yeah. So it, you degrade to ninety nine percent. You now need one to rebuild that building. 
Yeah. And this is pretty much the same with... Uh... Oh, I forget it. Yeah, I, there's one more. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. SEA, if I'm if I uh, am building on a planet with that requires S SEA, I don't even think about it. It's AEF almost, isn't bad. AEF is also in the category of its common market. I would say INS, SEA, and AEFs are the three that's like, you know what, the market's got it. You'll find it. And worst case, just be patient and go off the RCX. But for how much you're going to need, unless you want that to be your play, just get off the market. So is there any reason you might make that a play? Like, is there any argument for being a provider of it? Well, I think that's where it's like, so let's pick AEF. Let's say you had a big PG base and you're a big PG provider and Buddy Incorporation has decided he's going to go into Neon Big. So you now have a possibility for collaboration. He's going into any big because he wants to run glass factories. You already have PG. Then it's like, wait a second, I'll drop a PP2. I'll give you a good price for your Neon. And let's make AEF and let's let's own that market, right? That's where it's like, and I personally am a fan of, I like going, I like the big play. I like the, let's make this a cheap commodity where I can still make a killing and own the market or at least have a good chunk to share. So that's where it's like, you decide. It's like, I would say if you just need AEF, hey, just bought off the market. But it's like, you know what? I like this. I like there's some good synergies. I know someone that can help me or I, this is something I want to expand into. Then it's like, you know, go for it, but own the chain and then go big. There's four CXs to, to flood. So that's the cool part too. It's like maybe you're maybe the Benton market doesn't need much of it, but Antares does. And you just keep going to more and more CXs, getting spreading your market around. Makes sense to me. Well, I think we'll uh, call that the last one for the night. And uh, I definitely enjoyed the conversations. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you very much, Lex, for absolutely a fantastic uh i do really really appreciate all the uh, all the research that you do and uh insightful insights that you bring to the table with regards to purchase and produce so that will end uh this episode of pear talks prun uh once again just want to bring uh to everybody's attention uh we will be hopefully in the future going to uh, be putting this podcast on Apple Music and Spotify so you can catch us there now. Um, we also will be starting an offshoot channel of this uh, of this channel called Peritox Prun Shortwave where it very much is uh, just kind of edited down versions uh, a little bit less a little bit less kind of maybe uh, transitional uh, where we kind of talk about uh, the various aspects of the podcast in their various segments and a little bit more kind of uh, streamlined fashion. Um, one thing further we'll be doing is with the Paratox Prun podcast, we will be removing part one, part two, as we will be going to shortwave. So get ready for just one massively long podcast. If you're just like hit play and don't touch it for the next seven hours. Um <laughs> Other than that, uh, thank you very much, Gravy, for coming on the podcast. It's just been an absolute delight having you. I always just really appreciate when we get just uh, really, really awesome people like yourself on the podcast and just to add a lot of insight to uh, to our brains. <laughs> steel oh, sharp thanks and steel. for having me. This has been a blast, this conversation. Yeah, no, it's it definitely has. And I mean, it's funny, that was kind of the inception of this podcast was, you know, um, I just, I enjoy, I enjoyed chatting with Lex back in, back uh, a few months ago. 
And it just was like, yeah, like, why don't we, you know, why don't I start a podcast? And then Lex came on board and yeah, I haven't looked back since. It's just been an absolute fantastic uh, blast. And uh, I know we kind of said it in our break, but uh, yeah, this has always been the highlight of my Thursday as well. So that is everything, folks, and I uh, hope you learned a lot. If you do have any feedback or anything that you want to discuss in the water cooler, you can reach us at the Paratox Prun Discord. Uh, we're where we kind of uh, discuss, comment, talk, complain, all sorts of nonsense. So uh, definitely check out the discussions that are happening there. Um, and yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next time.